If you please stand for the reading of God's word. Uh, Today, we'll be reading out of the passage, Matthew 26, verses 27 through verse 30. Um, Bruce will be teaching the next part of his series, uh, a lesson he has entitled, At the Table with Jesus. If you do not have a Bible, there's a pew Bible, hopefully, in front of you, and you can find uh, this passage on page 989. So if you would please follow along with me as I read. Now on the first day of the unleavened bread, the disciples came to Jesus saying, Where will you have us prepare for you to eat the Passover? He said, Go into the city to a certain man and say to him, The teacher says, My name says, My name is at hand. I will keep the Passover at your house with my disciples. And the disciples did as Jesus had directed them, and they preached or prepared the Passover. And when it was evening, he reclined at the table with the twelve. And as they were eating, he said, Truly I say to you, one of you will betray me. And they were very sorrowful and began to say to him one after another, Is it I, Lord? He answered, He who has dipped his hand in the dish with me will betray me. The Son of Man goes as it is written of him, but woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been better for that man if he had not been born. Judas, who would betray him, answered, Is it I, Rabbi? And he said to him, You have said so. And now as they were eating, Jesus took bread, and after the blessing, broke it, and gave it to the disciples, and said, Take, eat, this is my body. He took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he had given it to them, saying, Drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many of the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink again of this fruit of the vine until the day that I drink it new with you in, the, in my Father's kingdom. And when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. Let's pray. Lord, you are so good. Even though after you have displayed that you would, your son would be betrayed by some of the people he was closest to, You still gave us the communion, God, an opportunity to be of remembrance of the sacrifice that we would be benefiting from forever. God, I pray that you would lead Bruce today. Pastor Bruce, give us the him the words to inflict into our hearts your message. Thank you once again in your name, amen. The table. Think about your own table kitchen table, dining room table, in your own house, and think about the dramas that have been played out around this rather simple piece of furniture in your own home, the table. I'm sure maybe you can identify with some of the drama you saw in the video. The table is is where a lot of life happens. When the phones are put away, the table is often a place where families and friends actually begin to talk. It's the place where relationships are strengthened, perhaps even reconciled. People often find a a sense of acceptance, a sense of security gathered around a table, especially if there's food on the table. In fact, in every culture across the world, food matters, meals matter. For this reason, meals are full of significance. Carolyn Steele writes, Few facts, few acts are more expressive of companionship than a shared meal. 
Someone with whom we share food is likely to be our friend or well on the way to becoming one. Why? Because in a magical way, sort of way, a, a food connects us. It connects us with family and friends. It even has the power to turn strangers into friends. And perhaps that is why the Gospels are full of stories of Jesus eating with people. In fact, notice in your notes here, I invite you to pull out that insert in your bulletin and follow along. I hope you have your Bibles open and follow along as well. But notice at the table with Jesus, something rather interesting to observe throughout the Gospels. In fact, throughout his ministry, Jesus gathers at the table to share a meal with people. Robert Karras writes in his book, In Luke's gospel, Jesus is either going to a meal or at a meal or he's coming from a meal. And here in Matthew's gospel, the very first time that we see Jesus at the table sharing a meal is in Matthew's house right after he started following Jesus. We find this occurrence. Back in Matthew chapter 9, verses 10 and 11, where it says, And as Jesus reclined at the table in the house, behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw this, they said to the disciples, Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? Last Sunday, if you were here with us, we saw Jesus again at the table sharing a meal this time with his disciples at Simon's house. And you'll look at it in Matthew 26, 6 through 7, where it says, Now when Jesus was at Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, a woman came up to him with an alabaster flask, a a very expensive ointment, and she poured it on his head as he reclined at the table. And what's interesting is, again, today we see Jesus at the table, sharing another meal in the house of a certain man. Sharing a meal with his disciples. In fact, we're told in Matthew 26, here, verses 20 and 21, when it was evening, he reclined, speaking of Jesus, at the table with the twelve and as they were eating. And so the meals of Jesus are sort of a, a window into his message of grace for the world. And nowhere is that seen more clearly than this particular meal, the Passover meal that Jesus now shares with his disciples. Again, gathered around a table. And that brings us to the significance of this particular table. At this time in Jesus' life with his disciples, at this moment in history, notice this coming up on the screen and in your notes, at this Passover meal, Jesus showed how God's past deliverance pointed to the ultimate deliverance that he was about to bring through his death on the cross and his resurrection from the grave. The first Passover meal was eaten the night before the exodus out of Egypt. When God liberated his people from slavery, this Passover meal looks back on the very first Passover meal, but it also looks ahead to the following day, to the cross where Jesus would actually become the Passover lamb who dies for our sins. 
And so now Jesus longs to eat this meal, this Passover meal, with his friends, with his disciples. Why? Because this meal, this one in particular, is a foretaste of another meal to come. The marriage supper of the Lamb that we read about in Revelation 19. But first, Jesus must suffer and die. So that we, who are Christ followers, that we can now come to the table and eat. And so what I want us to do this morning, I want us to imagine, if you will, gathering at the table with Jesus. Gathering with him and his disciples. And I want us to see how he bridges the history of God's redemption in Israel or of Israel, with the ultimate deliverance of humanity through himself. This takes place in two sequences. And you'll notice, first of all, at the table with Jesus, that Jesus experiences the last Passover. He experiences the last Passover here. Now again, this is the Passion Week of Jesus Christ, leading up to the cross of Christ. And things are happening fast. Very fast during this final week. Sunday was the triumphant entry into the city of Jerusalem. And already now we are at Thursday when Passover is celebrated. A few days earlier, Jesus told his disciples in this very chapter, we're in Matthew 26, and he tells them in verse 2, the Passover is two days away. And the Son of Man will be handed over to be crucified. And so the chief priests, these Jewish religious leaders, they have plotted together to arrest Jesus by stealth and kill him. Judas has agreed to look for an opportune place and time to deliver Jesus into their hands. And so Jesus was prepared for this. This did not catch him off guard. Since he knew that he must suffer and die. But first, he wants to share a final meal with his disciples before the storm of betrayal and arrest and trial and abuse and crucifixion breaks upon him. But now Passover is here. And the disciples haven't made any arrangements for this meal. They haven't prepared for it yet. And so they are concerned. They're kind of like the husband who forgot to make dinner reservations for Valentine's Day. And so they they frantically ask Jesus... Um, Jesus, what's the game plan here? This is a big meal, a big celebration. We haven't made any plans. This Passover was a big deal. It's also called the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Passover was the chief celebration of Israel's faith. But Jesus is in charge. He is in control. He's not caught unprepared for this celebration. In fact, it's quite interesting that Matthew here doesn't even focus on the details of the meal. Rather, the whole focus on behalf of Matthew in his gospel here is on whom? It's on Jesus Christ. When you read through this account, it is all about Jesus. It's what he is doing. Jesus is in charge. And the reason the focus is on Jesus is because it's He is the fulfillment of Passover, the last and final Lamb of God. And through His blood, God's people are saved from death and freed from the bondage of sin. And so notice what happens here. Notice what Jesus is doing 
at this Passover meal. First of all, Jesus sets the time and place for the Passover meal. Jesus wanted an uninterrupted evening to give some final instructions to his disciples. And since he did not want Judas to hand him over until the right time, he has already prearranged a safe place for his disciples to meet. Jesus told his disciples in verses 18 through 19, look what it says. He tells them, go into the city to a certain man and say to him, the teacher says, my time is at hand. I will keep the Passover at your house with my disciples. And the disciples did as Jesus had directed them, and they prepared the Passover. So Jesus organized the meal that would mark a new Passover. And he does so with complete control over the time and the place. In fact, we know in John's Gospel account, this is often referred to as the upper room of where they're meeting in a certain house. And when Jesus says, my time is at hand, he's talking about the time of his death. It will occur during Passover, as he has already predicted back in verse 2, and now he reiterates it again here in verse 18. And now, when we think of death, We think of events that are often beyond our control, but not Jesus. He was in complete control here. And by the way, Jesus' control of his darkest hour is what sustains us in our darkest hour. If Jesus was in control when the foundations of his own existence appeared to be crumbling, then we can trust him as well to sustain us when our life appears to be crumbling. So Jesus sets the time. He sets the place. Why? He is the one who's in charge. But he also does something else. He shares a meal with his disciples. And in this case, it's a Passover meal. Now the Passover meal symbolized God's deliverance of Israel, that is God's people, from Egypt. And so this meal that Jesus is celebrating, it is pointing back to the night of the final plague when God took the lives of the firstborn sons of Egypt. But God protected his people, the Israelites, during this plague. In fact, you can read about it in Exodus chapter 12, where God instructed each household to slaughter a lamb and to take some of that blood and to sprinkle it or put it on the sides of their door, doorpost and over the top. God told them in Exodus 12, verse 13, this, this blood that you're sprinkling on your doorpost will be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you, hence the name Passover. And so the Israelites are now protected when God executed his judgment on Egypt. And so Passover was a celebration of this historic event. And each year, the nation of Israel, the Jewish people, would commemorate God's redemption, his rescue of them through this meal. The process began when lambs were slain and prepared by the priests, which is why thousands upon thousands of Israelites traveled to the city of Jerusalem, where the family would purchase a lamb and then prepare the rest of the meal. The father of each household would lead in the meal. He would give thanks 
for the feast, which included four shared cups of wine. The meal began with greens and bitter herbs. Why bitter herbs? To signify the the bitterness of being in slavery for 400 years, reminding them of that. And then it moved to the wine and finally to the roasted lamb. Children of each family were often would ask about the significance of the meal. What does it mean? And the father then would use those questions as a way to retell the story of what happened, explaining that the meal celebrated Israel's deliverance from Egypt. And when they were finished eating the meal, the family would then conclude by singing a hymn of thanks and praise, often from Psalms 113 through 118. And that's what Jesus is doing here. And he's doing this with his disciples. He's sharing this Passover meal with them the evening before he becomes the, quote, Passover lamb who was slain on the cross. In fact, Matthew writes here in verse 20, when it was evening, he reclined at the table with the twelve. Now, coming up on the screen is a picture of Leonardo da Vinci's famous painting. And that painting is quite different than the account that Matthew gives us, isn't it? Because the way he painted it, you'd think Jesus had them all lined up on one side of the table for a selfie to post on social media. But that's not the way it was. In fact, back in Jesus' day, it was often customary to recline on your left elbow and then eat with your right hand from a common plate with the table in the center. And so the table is set, if you can imagine this with me. The food is out. The wine is poured. Jesus and his 12 disciples are are laying in a circle with the table in the middle, and they are now eating the Passover meal when all of a sudden, Jesus shocks them. He shocks his disciples by announcing and denouncing his betrayer. Notice the truth bomb Jesus dropped on them in verse 21. It says, and as they were eating, he said, truly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. Now, you can almost hear the gasps in the room that night. The whole meal stops and everyone stares in disbelief at Jesus. Let me tell you, the disciples are shocked. They are stunned. And the most shocking thing about what Jesus says is it would be one of them one of his most intimate friends who would betray him. No wonder the disciples reacted the way they did, with such sorrow and disbelief. In fact, we read here in verse 22, and they were very sorrowful and began to say to him one after another, Is it I, Lord? Is it I, Lord? Is it I? The disciples seemed to be doubting their own loyalty to Jesus. And so they turned to him for reassurance. And isn't it interesting that none of them actually turned to Judas and look at him as the culprit betrayer. Apparently, Judas has hidden his treachery quite well. In fact, so well that each of the disciples wonders if perhaps he is the betrayer. At any rate... Jesus did not identify the traitor outright. 
He simply stated that it was someone who has shared this meal with him. Someone, according to verse 23, who has dipped his hand in the dish with me will betray me. Well, by that time, everyone has dipped their hand in the dish. Everyone has partaken of this meal and eaten. And so what Jesus means by that, it's simply, it means it's one of you. One of you who are here tonight sharing this meal with me is the one. Now, this stunning news that a traitor was among them grieved the disciples greatly. But it also prompted them all to ask a significant question. Is it I, Lord? Is it I? The question suggests that they are, they are horrified at the thought that they might betray Jesus. Still, they suspect that the, the capacity to betray Jesus lies within them. You see, they feared their own worst tendencies, and rightfully so. Because what's going to happen in the next few hours? Most of them will actually abandon Jesus to save their own skin. In fact, Peter stayed close enough, but then he lost his courage, and we know that he denied that he even knew Jesus. It was only John who actually came to the cross, stood at the foot of the cross, to behold Jesus on the cross. But none of this took Jesus by surprise. Listen, even in the midst of betrayal... He knew that his father was still working out his plan of redemption. Have you ever been betrayed? Perhaps by a friend? Maybe a spouse, a child, an employer? When you're betrayed, you feel so helpless. You feel out of control of the situation. So how do you live with that? How do you go on without letting bitterness and resentment eat away at your own heart and, in effect, destroy all your other relationships? The only way to endure betrayal is to believe, as Jesus did right here, which is in the midst of the betrayal, that God is working out his purposes for his glory and for our good. Although Jesus didn't reveal the identity of his betrayer, he did issue a very solemn warning to his betrayer. Look what Jesus says in verse 24. It says, The Son of Man goes as it is written of him, but woe, woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been better for that man if he had not been born. Now here, we have one of the great mysteries in all of human history. The scriptures predicted this betrayal like it was a script written beforehand by the very hand of God. But Jesus says, woe to the man who plays the villain. So here we have bundled up in one verse the absolute sovereignty of God over history, along with the terrible culpability of man. Judas, make no mistake about it, did what he did out of the own sinfulness of his heart. And he was held responsible for it. 
But little did he know that he was fulfilling the predetermined plan of God. Yet this in no way excuses Judas. God has his purposes. But when God's sovereignty and man's actions collide, listen to me, guilt and responsibility still remain. The tragic figure at the table, listen, it is not Jesus. It is Judas. Therefore, Jesus says to him, it would have been better for him if he had not been born. Listen, what a frightful thing to hear. What a frightful thing to say. And Jesus said it with a broken heart because he loved Judas. He washed his feet and gave him every opportunity to repent. And yet eternal judgment in hell awaits Judas. J.C. Ryle said it this way. It is better never to live at all than to live without faith and to die without grace. When faced with the consequences of his own sin, Judas still willingly chooses to betray Jesus. And then for reasons unknown to us, Judas also asked Jesus in verse 25, Is it I, Rabbi? Which is interesting because by the use of the word rabbi, Jesus is now just a good teacher to Judas. He is not his Lord. And so Jesus responds with an answer that puts responsibility squarely back on Judas in verse 25. When Jesus says, you have said so. And we know from other gospel accounts that Judas then left the table quickly. He rushes out of the upper room. And he goes to do his evil deed. Jesus experiences here the very last Passover meal with his disciples. And it's the last one because there's now no need to celebrate the Passover anymore. Why? Because the Lamb of God has now been shed on the cross to free us from the bondage of our sins. This is why... Jesus now establishes what is often called the Lord's Supper, which is our point number two. You see, as much as each disciple was horrified at the thought, each disciple knew that they could betray Jesus. After all, the potential for unfaithfulness dwells in every disciple just as it then did then and even now today. This is why Jesus had to go to the cross. Listen, the teachings of Jesus would never be enough to rescue us from our failure, to save us from our sins, to redeem us from our weaknesses. Listen, we all sin. It's not just Judas here. And the wages of sin is death, according to Romans. Jesus went to the cross to pay that wage for us. And so Jesus now establishes the Lord's Supper so the disciples at this moment, and for us even now today, would understand a very significant and important truth. And that truth is this, that the sins of the men at the Passover table established the very need for the Lord's table. In other words, we could say it like this. The 
the sins of the men eating the meal required the death of the one who is hosting the meal. If any of us were to be redeemed. You see, Jesus is the ultimate Passover lamb. His blood is covered for our lives. The Lord now passes over us and we are redeemed from the bondage of our sins. And this was such an epic event. Jesus now creates a new symbolic meal to replace the old one. And so what does Jesus do? He takes the the Passover meal here and he makes a new memorial out of it. We call it communion or the Lord's Supper. And Jesus transforms this Passover meal of the Old Covenant, which is marked by the shedding of lamb's blood. And he transforms it now into the Lord's Supper of the New Covenant, which would be marked by the shedding of his own blood. Notice what Jesus does to establish this new supper. First of all, Jesus offers the bread. He says in verse 26, Now as they were eating, Jesus took bread, and after blessing it, he broke it and gave it to his disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. And so the breaking of bread is a foreshadowing of the physical abuse Jesus will experience in the hours to come. Jesus will be beaten. He will be bruised beyond recognition. He will be nailed to the cross. His body will be broken for us. And so Jesus breaks the bread and he gives it to his disciples saying, take, eat, this is my body. Now, what did Jesus mean by that when he says, this is my body? Well, he simply meant that the bread represents or symbolizes his death on the cross. When Jesus held up the bread and said, this is my body, I cannot imagine the disciples thinking that the bread was a literal extension of his flesh. No, Jesus is simply providing another vivid object lesson using figurative language such as he's already done before when he says, I am the vine or I am the door. And so the bread is not literally his body any more than the wine is literally his blood. Jesus offers the bread and then he then offers the cup. It says in verses 27 and 28, and he took a cup. And when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. And so the cup here is a foreshadowing of the cross where Jesus' blood will be poured out in death. Jesus makes a new covenant in his blood where everyone who now comes to him for salvation finds the forgiveness of sins, and eternal life with God. And make no mistake about it, I understand this. The offer of forgiveness of sins is universal, but the application is exclusive to the, quote, many who believe in the gospel and put their faith in Christ alone. Here, the blood covenant that was originally made by Moses at Mount Sinai is renewed. It is fulfilled. In fact, it is surpassed. It is A new and better covenant, according to Hebrews. Why? Because it is God's commitment to us. His commitment through Jesus' atonement to forgive his people their iniquity once and for all and to remember their sin no more, according to Jeremiah 31. 
This is oftentimes why we might say, even here in church, among one another, of the Lord's Supper, that we celebrate his death. And at first, that sounds morbid, doesn't it? We celebrate the death of Christ? Really? What's up with that? Yes, we celebrate Christ's death because through it, listen, we have the forgiveness of sins. But we also celebrate Christ's death because it is his death, yes, along with this resurrection, that guarantees us fellowship with God for all eternity. Don't miss what Jesus says here in verse 29. It is rather significant. He says, I tell you, I will not drink again of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. So what Jesus is doing is he is now looking beyond the cross. And he looks forward to the wedding feast in the kingdom of God. Yes, Jesus will be betrayed and he will die. But Jesus will also rise victorious and he will usher in the kingdom of God. It's as if Jesus says to us, think of your future with me in the kingdom of God. Yes, every time you drink that wine, which symbolizes my blood poured out for you, let it remind you of the wedding feast to come, where we will share that same drink forever at the table together. Jesus offers the bread, he offers the cup, but he's not done yet. He then, number three, offers praise. Matthew says in verse 30, and when he had, they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. So now Jesus offers praise to his heavenly Father. The cross is coming, but it's all part of God's plan of redemption. There is an appointed death, but none of this dissuades Jesus from accomplishing his mission. And so he offers up a, a hymn of praise and follows his father's plan to the very end. So at this particular table, Jesus does two things here. He experiences the last Passover with his disciples. But more than that, he establishes the Lord's Supper for the rest of us who are his disciples. So how then should we, as Christ followers, how should we approach the Lord's table? We're going to come here in a few moments to his table. And what should our heart attitude be? How should we approach his table knowing what we just learned here? Well, let me offer you three things. Three truths of way to reproach it. Number one is to look inward in self-examination of our lives. Look inward. I think this is prompted from the disciples when they look at themselves as the possible betrayer and then ask Jesus one another, is it I, Lord? You see, the disciples, and especially Judas, listen, they are held up to us as a mirror for us to look inward in self-examination. Judas had a very personal relationship with Jesus Christ. But he was not saved. Let that sink in. Listen to me. Judas had a relationship with Jesus Christ. 
But he was not saved. J.C. Riles writes, Judas Iscariot had the highest possible religious privileges. He was a chosen disciple and companion of Christ. He was an eyewitness of our Lord's miracles and a hearer of his sermons. He saw what Abraham and Moses never saw. He heard what David and Isaiah never heard. He lived in the society of the 11 disciples. He was a fellow laborer with Peter, James, and John. But for all this, his heart was never changed. So don't be presumptuous here in your relationship with Jesus. All the disciples that night asked, is it I, Lord? And we must never grow old of asking that same question. In fact, that is why Paul tells us later on in 1 Corinthians 11 that we should examine ourselves. Examine our hearts, examine our lives, where he says, whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then, so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. So we look inward, but we should also, when we come to the table, we should look backwards in remembrance of Christ's death. Each time we come to the table and participate in the Lord's Supper, we look backwards and we are reminded of Christ's death on the cross. Again, this is what Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 11 where he says, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, he took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, also he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. So the Lord's Supper is a meal of such great importance because it reminds us that Jesus' death, listen, is sufficient to save. We need to be reminded that Jesus is our substitute and that Jesus, in his death, And resurrection secures for us the forgiveness of sins and eternal life with God Almighty. As Elise Fitzpatrick has said, the supper is meant to warm our affections toward our Savior. We are tasting His hospitality. We are seeing the table spread before us. In it, the Spirit feeds our souls using the bread and wine that we see touch, taste, and smell. We actually feel his goodness towards us when we savor the elements. But we not only look inward and backwards, we also look forward in anticipation of Christ's return. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 11, for as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until when? Until he comes. And so every time we come to the Lord's table... We are remembering the death of Christ, but we are also looking forward to the return of Christ. Listen, Jesus is coming again. And Jesus says, I'm not going to drink the fruit of the vine again until I drink it with you in the kingdom. So get this. This is unbelievable. This is phenomenal. Let this carry you through your week. There is coming a day. When we will gather at the table, when we will sit at the table with Jesus himself, when we will celebrate 
with him in his father's kingdom. And it will be as real and as tangible as the person sitting next to you right now. The Apostle John describes it in Revelation 19.9 when he says, And the angel said to me, write this, Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, these are the true words of God. Now the four tables that are spread throughout our auditorium is not the marriage supper of the Lamb. You know what these tables are? It's simply the appetizer for the feast. The Lord's Supper is not the full meal. I don't know anyone here who's going to eat the bread, drink the juice, and go home full. That little wafer is not going to fill you up. It's not. You know what it's doing, though? When you grab that bread and you take that juice back to your pew, symbolically, spiritually, it is wetting your appetite For what's to come. One day we're going to be reunited with Jesus Christ. In his kingdom. Gathered at his table. Celebrating a feast. The marriage supper of the Lamb. And this is the appetizer of it. The question is. Will you be there? Listen, you're invited. You are invited. But only those who respond in saving faith are welcome at that table. So I ask you this morning, do you trust in Christ for your salvation? Have you placed your faith in Christ alone for the forgiveness of your sins? Listen, if you haven't, this morning is a great opportunity to do so now. You are invited To come to the table and receive what God has already done for you through Jesus Christ. Repent of your sins. Look to the Savior, Jesus Christ, who died for you. And in faith, cry out to him and ask him to save you. And the Bible says you will be saved. You will have the gift of eternal life. You will be reconciled to God Almighty. You will then be welcome at the ultimate feast, the marriage supper of the Lamb. You have a spot at the table. Listen to the words of this song. It's going to be played in a video here. Come to the table, and when it's done, I'll come back up and give some final instructions. Come to the table. What a beautiful, beautiful picture of salvation. Would you bow your heads with me? Heavenly Father, thank you for your Son, Jesus Christ, and what he accomplished on the cross for us. For it's only in him that we find forgiveness of sins and eternal life. And so help us to examine ourselves to see if we truly have a relationship with you through saving faith. And if there be any sin of our hearts that we would confess to you, so that we can be forgiven and come to the table, cleansed and covered in the righteousness of Christ. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Man, if you have confessed that Jesus Christ is Lord, by trusting Him for your salvation, identifying with Him in baptism, and committing to His body and membership of a local church, then you are invited to come to the table.
If that is not you, if you are not yet a Christ follower, that is, you have yet to confess Jesus as your Savior and Lord, then I invite you to watch what we are going to do as we come to the table. And I pray that you will see a picture of God's love for you as we eat and drink of these symbols of God's grace. As we mentioned already, the bread and the juice represent the body and the blood of Jesus when he died on the cross. And it reminds us again of who our Lord is, what he has done for us, and even is doing for us, and yet will do for us when he returns. And so we celebrate. As the music begins to play, feel free to stand and walk to one of these tables. Come and partake of the Lord's Supper.